trying to disguise yourself as a worker bee. That's you trying to blend in with the hive. But you're not a worker bee. You're a renegade killer bee. Killer bee. Killer bee. Viceberg Slim. I will chop your heads off! Welcome to In Broad Daylight, a solo podcast with your host, Adam Todd Brown. Hey everybody, welcome to In Broad Daylight. I'm your host, Adam Todd Brown. Joining me today, nobody. This is my solo podcast. You know that. We've been doing this for weeks now. We meet up every week, this same time, this same place, to talk about world events, politics, things of the sort. You know this. Why does it catch you off guard every time? I'll never understand. How's everyone doing? You don't have to answer that. I can't hear you, but as I always assure you, I do feel it. I feel it when you tell me how you're doing. So tell me right now. I felt it. Not like now as I'm talking because I record this ahead of time, but whatever I'm doing at the time you're listening to this, you all collectively listening all at once, you just sent a jarring pain through my entire body that I'll probably spend the rest of the day recovering from. I love you all so much. Hey, what are we talking about today? I'll tell you what we're talking about. Good news from Bagoos. Ha <laughs> ha. You know Bagoos. It's a tiny town in Syria. A country that isn't exactly a leader in the good news industry these days. But after seizing huge swaths of Iraq and Syria in 2014, ISIS has been pushed out of all but this one tiny little area in Syria. How? about that. Thousands of people have been streaming out of the area for weeks to avoid a good old-fashioned American ass-beating. Granted, most of them are wives and kids of ISIS fighters, but this is the USA, baby. They can get these hands, too. In fact, there have been so many people fleeing that the U.S.-backed SDF, which, as we all know, means Syrian Democratic Forces, They had to delay an assault on the town for weeks just to give all the people running from the full power of American military might time to run. And how frustrating. All dressed up in United States-supplied military equipment and nowhere to go. Who among us hasn't been there? If that doesn't describe every local police force in the United States right now, I don't know what it does describe. But the delay is over. As of Sunday... The assault on Bagoos has Bagoon. (laughs) That joke murdered with the Iron Giant cut out in this room. But yeah, as of Sunday, we're bombing the shit out of the one last area in Syria that's controlled by ISIS. And depending on who you believe, they are totally defeated. Take it away, you sleazy grifter. We've been fighting for a long time in Syria. I've been president for almost two years, and we've really stepped it up, and we have won against ISIS. We've beaten them, and we've beaten them badly. We've taken back the land, and now it's time for our troops to come back home. I get very saddened when I have to write letters or call parents or wives or husbands of soldiers who have been killed fighting for our country. It's a great honor. We cherish them. But it's heartbreaking. 
There's no question about it. It's heartbreaking. Now we've won. We've won. It's time to come back home. We won. Except not really, though. If you read any article about this triumph, you'll note that it most likely ends with a mention about how remnants of ISIS are still scattered around Iraq and Syria. Even National Security Advisor and Monopoly board game Extended Universe villain John Bolton said in an interview recently that the ISIS threat will always exist, just like that unstoppable mustache of his. But even then, he just mentioned that there are still ISIS forces scattered around Iraq and Syria. And here's the thing. If a ragtag group of jihadists looking for a new home in the Middle East is the only threat ISIS poses right now, someone should tell that to the Philippines. It's understandable if it didn't register on your Philippines news radar, what with all the slaughtering of drug users in the streets and all, but ISIS definitely has a worrisome presence in that country right now which is the nicest possible way to say they're beheading motherfuckers and blowing shit up. And this shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone. For decades now, the Moro people, which is the collective term for the 13 different Muslim-majority ethnic groups that make up approximately 5% of the Philippine population, around 5 million people, they've been fighting to make the area around the Jolo and Basilan Islands in the southwestern part of the Philippines, an independent Moro-ruled province. And they've been fighting this fight for decades, 40, 50 years now, at least. And there have been two groups at the center of that for most of this time. One, the Mout Group, M-A-U-T-E, which sounds like the name you'd give a firm that bids on young girls and sex trafficking auctions on behalf of international billionaire clients or something, at least until you get a load of their other name, which is Islamic State of Lanao. That's L-E space N-O-W. It's French for the now. Just joking. It's L-A-N-A-O, which means Lanao. There's also Abu Sayyaf, a.k.a. Islamic State of Iraq and the Levant, Philippines province! Both of these groups have been around, like I said, for decades, fighting against the Christian-majority government of the Philippines, fighting to have their own little Muslim-ruled section of the Philippines. And both of these groups started publicly declaring their allegiance to ISIS around 2014. In 2016... They claimed responsibility for a bombing in Davao City that killed 14 people and injured 70 more. After the bombing, then-President Benino Aquino III tried to downplay the ties between those responsible for the bombings and ISIS. But after they kidnapped and beheaded a Canadian businessman, a very ISIS move, Aquino revealed that not only had he been getting threats— Another ISIS move. But they also threatened to kidnap Manny Pacquiao. And here's the thing. That Pacquiao plot probably would have worked. Because if we learned anything from that time he fought Floyd Mayweather, it's that Manny Pacquiao is terrible at defending himself against monsters who hate women. Anyway, in November 2016, Duterte, who had recently become president at that point, confirmed the ties between these local militant groups and ISIS 
and issued a statement. I do not want to fight with you. I don't want us killing each other. But please, do not force my hand. I cannot be forever traveling here every month just to talk. And when I turn around, there's killing again. I do not want to mention anything, but please do not force my hand into it. You know what? For Duterte, that is pretty even-handed, if I'm being completely honest. A little rough around the edges. There's definitely some vague threats in there. But hey, an appeal for peace is an appeal for peace. But then, the next month, Mount Fighters fleeing the town of Butig, B-U-T-I-G, left behind a note threatening to behead Duterte and the military. Like, all the military? The entire military. Because at best, there were like 1,200 of these ISIS-related fighters in the country at the time. Beheading the entire military is a lofty goal. Did ISIS build a mass beheading weapon at some point that we're just now learning about? Or is each member of the military getting the individual sword treatment? Because that's going to take a long fucking time. And I don't know if they had the manpower to pull it off. And maybe that's why Duterte didn't take the threat all that seriously. In fact, he issued a dare after they left that note. He was giving a speech in December 2016 and was asked about the threat that these groups pose. And his answer, because they threatened to go down from the mountains to burn down Marawi, go ahead, be my guest. We will wait for you there. No problem. And less than six months later, guess what happened? They came down from the mountains to burn down Marawi, which is a city in the Philippines. On May 23rd, 2017, fighters from Abu Sayyaf and the Mount Group converged on Marawi and started attacking the military and taking over hospitals and shit. Which that, again, that's some ISIS shit. Because normally, in a war-type situation between two nations that are beholden to some semblance of international laws, you don't fuck with a hospital. That's where the civilians go. That's where sick people go. Those people are doing good. If you're fighting on the other side and you end up at a hospital, they still have an obligation to help you get better. Those aren't the places you normally target for attack. But that happened after Duterte issued this challenge, and it turned into a five-month conflict, very rightfully known as the Battle of Marawi. Most of the city was flattened. Some described it as the heaviest urban fighting in the Philippines since World War II. The big one, baby. 3,152 buildings were completely destroyed. Another 2,145 partially or heavily damaged. 200,000 residents displaced. 87 civilians killed. 168 government forces killed. 1,400 wounded. But more importantly, 978 militants killed. Hey, that is a lot. Surely there couldn't be many left after that. And depending on who you ask... Some would argue that you're correct. After the leaders of Abu Sayyaf and the Mount Group were both killed in the fighting, Duterte announced that the threat had been put down for good. Problem solved. Time to get back to triple stacking meth addicts in jail cells until you can dump them in Manila Bay. Except, remember that part about how thousands of people have been fleeing Syria? Some of those people fleeing were just ISIS fighters not wives and children of ISIS fighters. Some of them were intentionally sent away to set up sleeper cells, as told by one ISIS fighter who was captured in the battle to Reuters. By the way, I'll put links to all of these stories up on 
unpops.com. I normally read the headlines. Way too fucking many. Oh, you'll you'll find them. Just go out there and look. But yeah, a lot of those people fleeing the last strongholds of ISIS in Syria were fleeing because they knew this was becoming a lost cause, and they figured they could go regroup and set up somewhere else. And a lot of them ended up in the Philippines. And here's the thing. Those wiseacres are right back to their old shenanigans. In January, they claimed responsibility for a bombing at a cathedral on the island of Jolo that killed more than 20 people. A few days later, a picture started circulating on Islamic State chat groups depicting Duterte kneeling on a pile of skulls with a militant standing over him with a dagger. The caption read, The fighting has just begun. (laughs) That was probably inappropriate. Would have been more appropriate if John McCain made that noise. Oh, that's a deep reference. So after this bombing happens and this threat to Duterte starts circulating online, the government leaps into action. They launch airstrikes against the area in Jolo where these militant groups were thought to be hiding out. And they sent in 10,000 ground troops, all while claiming none of this has to do with ISIS. Before an investigation into the bombing could even be launched, Duterte and his people visited the crime scene and literally trampled over evidence that could have proven someone else besides locals were involved. So pretty much everyone but the government has admitted ISIS is on the rise in the Philippines. And of course, where there's ISIS, the United States isn't far behind. Don't worry. I'll save the conspiracy talk on that point for another podcast, specifically Conspiracy the Show, also available on the Unpops Network. I co-host it with Connor McSpadden. It's a hoot! Check it out sometime. That said, the rise of ISIS in the Philippines has indeed coincided with a rise in U.S. military presence in the Philippines. And I know what you're thinking. The answer to your question is yes. We can talk about military bases for a few minutes. In 1947, we signed a 99-year lease giving the United States virtual territorial rights to several military and naval bases in the Philippines. And it ended up being more like a 45-year lease. After the Cold War ended, we needed them less, seeing as how we had just eradicated all evil in the world. And they were understandably tired of having us around. So we parted ways. And the U.S. turned the bases over to the government of the Philippines. People were mostly happy about this. No one wants a foreign army occupying their country, no matter what the circumstances. Even if they're there to help, you'd probably still rather not need them there to help. You know? So we got the fuck out of there. A conscious uncoupling, if you will. Way before Gwyneth Paltrow made the term famous. But... Now, as if by magic, U.S. military bases are back in the Philippines, just in time for ISIS to start making a ruckus in town. Imagine! What a coincidence! In January, it was announced that the first of several new facilities for visiting American forces was opening on the island of Luzon in the Philippines, with another on the island of Palawan to begin construction soon. And this is all part of the 2014 Enhanced Defense Cooperation Agreement that was signed by the U.S. and the Philippines before Duterte or Trump took office. 
And it was at risk of being rescinded for a while there when Obama, fucking killjoy that he is, had the audacity to question the ethics behind using murder as the drug rehabilitation option of first resort. But then Trump got elected and Duterte was happy about that. So everything between us and them is good again. Say whatever else you want about the guy, but other dictators sure seem to love our dictator. Anyway, the Constitution of the Philippines doesn't allow for permanent U.S. military bases, but these are, for all intents and purposes, U.S. military bases. We have complete operational control, and it's already been acknowledged that we'll be keeping defense stuff there. That was defense in air quotes because I can't make real quotes because this is a podcast. So I have to make air quotes for the benefit of me in the room and then tell you that I did air quotes for the benefit of you. It's a very cumbersome process. You have no idea what I put up with. And the official explanation for why we're entering into this agreement is that we need this presence on these bases in the Philippines in case there's ever some sort of disaster, natural or otherwise, that we need to go in and help out with. Because you know how committed we are to disaster relief in areas that aren't 99% white people. That is just a hallmark of the Trump administration. Again, when Trump cares about the well-being of something, something is afoot. And you can rest assured we are not putting up at least five military bases is what it will ultimately be in the Philippines because we're worried about a mudslide that might happen at some point in the future. No, we're there for war reasons. You, you can be sure of that. Does that mean the rise of ISIS in the Philippines is why we're back to opening bases there. Probably doesn't hurt, but there could be another explanation. For about 50 years now, the U.S. has owned and operated a super-duper shady military base in the middle of goddamn nowhere called Diego Garcia. To give you an idea of how nefarious this place is reported to be, there's a conspiracy theory that Malaysian Airlines Flight 370 landed there. That's a joke, but it's also not a joke. It's one of those so shocking, you have no choice but to laugh kind of things. But indeed, one of of many Malaysian Airlines Flight 370 conspiracy theories floating around, one of them is that it landed safely at Diego Garcia Military Base, owned and operated by the United States. We've never given an official explanation for what goes on there which I'm sure is somehow related to the fact that we've also never allowed human rights inspectors inside. There were rumors that it was tied to the CIA's extraordinary rendition program. You know, the thing where we would just snatch someone up from the United States, fly them somewhere in the middle of nowhere, interrogate them, then drop them back off in a country they probably are going to get murdered in. This was the Vegas layover of getting kidnapped and returned to a hostile nation by the CIA. And who knows what other torture-related shit was going on there. But we denied all that right up to the point where we confirmed it in a U.S. Senate intelligence report in 2014. And the only thing more horrific than what probably happens there is how we gained control of it. Even though I said I'll be posting links to everything on the website, I do want to give a specific shout out here to a writer named David Vine, 
who has written a lot about Diego Garcia, including an entire book called Island of Shame, The Secret History of the U.S. Military Base on Diego Garcia. Or if you want the elevator pitch, check out his article, The Truth About Diego Garcia, 50 Years of Fiction About an American Military Base on IFG.org. He goes into a lot of detail about how the official story is that we built this base on an uninhabited island halfway between Africa and Indonesia, a thousand miles south of India. Pull up your globes in your head, stick a red pin in that exact location so you never forget it. And the location is correct, but the uninhabited part, total fucking lie. The truth is, the base used to be part of the British colony of Mauritius, M-A-U-R-I-T-I-U-S. When Britain was in the process of decolonizing Mauritius, we, the United States, stepped in with a request. We were worried that we didn't have enough of a military presence in the Indian Ocean, and we were really hankering to put a base out there somewhere. So what we did is we asked the British to detach the Chagos Archipelago from Mauritius and just create a new colony. And they did exactly that. They even gave it a really clever and cool-sounding British name, just like you'd expect. It's called the British Indian Ocean Territory. They didn't even fucking try to pretend they were setting up an actual colony. They could, they should have just called it Colony. That would have made just as much sense from a specifics standpoint. And its sole purpose was to house U.S. military facilities. Still, its sole purpose. The agreement granted the U.S. exclusive control without local inhabitants. It actually says that in the agreement that we arranged with the British. An agreement where we also claimed they just gave us this territory for free, but we later found out in notes from the various meetings that we canceled a $14 million debt that was coming due over arms sales to Britain at the time. So we gave them money for this. And the without local inhabitants part, that's important. They just put it in parentheses in the agreement. But those three little words are all it took for the forced exodus of thousands of Chagosians to start. It began in 1967. That's when, if you were living on the archipelago of Chagos and you happened to go to Mauritius for vacation, doctor's appointment, whatever, they just wouldn't let you come back in the country. So if dad had to skip across to another island for a little bit to take care of biz, when he tried to come back, they would say no. And then you have two choices. Either dad sheds a lot of responsibility and lives as a bachelor on Mauritius for the rest of his life, or the family has to flee Chagos also and rejoin dad on Mauritius. And that's what happened in most cases as you would expect. But man can't carry out mass deportations on family separations alone. We're learning that in this country right now. It's going to take so much more. So when those efforts didn't trim the population enough, we restricted the flow of food and resources to the islands. Because why not? And that, of course, forced even more people to either leave or starve, which are options usually reserved for people who show up at Domino's looking for actual food. Am I right? Because it's all trash there. By 1973, the last Chagosians were gone. 
as is usually the case with situations like this, instead of being moved and given resources and help with resettling, people are just kind of dumped onto a new island and left to fend for themselves. To this day, most of the now 5,000 or so Chagosians living on nearby islands live in abject poverty, so much so that they have a word for the sorrow and heartbreak former residents live with over being exiled from their native land. That word, sangren, S-A-N-G-R-E-N. And stuff like this was easy to hide before the internet, but the internet changed everything. Way harder to hide shit like this now. So public opinion has turned against Diego Garcia in a whole bunch of ways. One reason being that both the UK and the US have fought vigorously to keep Chagosians from being allowed to return. At one point, the British went so far as to declare the Chagos Archipelago as a protected marine area, you know, like a wildlife preserve, but in the water, which meant that, hey, sending thousands of people back to live there, that, that, could, that could damage this protected area. You know what else could damage that protected area? Having a fucking military base there. So you won't be at all surprised to know that argument did not hold up all that well in court. Not only that, but earlier this year, the UN's International Court of Justice ruled that Britain's separation of the Chagos Archipelago in 1965 was illegal. So does that mean we have to leave? Us, meaning the mighty and benevolent United States? Do we have to flee the Chagos Archipelago and leave that place open to attack from ISIS, provided they figure out how to travel thousands of miles across open ocean to reach a tiny, very well-protected base in the middle of nowhere? No, it doesn't necessarily mean that. Because, for one thing, the ruling isn't legally binding, so we could all just ignore it. But also ignoring it would be kind of a bad look because it is the UN, and we're part of the UN, and we're supposed to abide by the things they say. And it wouldn't just be a bad look for us, but also for Britain. They've been our partner in this all along, from participating in ridding the archipelago of its native residents, to looking the other way when we landed Malaysian Airlines Flight 370 there. England has been our willing partner this entire time. If we're Lindy England... The actual England is the one taking pictures. But what the fuck does this all have to do with the Philippines, you might be asking at this point? Well, here's the thing. Despite all of the secrecy about what goes on there, Diego Garcia has been the launching point for most of our wars and offenses in the Middle East against ISIS, dating all the way back to the second war in Iraq. But with the public sentiment kind of worldwide turning against our style of fighting terrorism, I guess you would call it, as depicted in the Fox television series 24, which also featured a storyline about Diego Garcia at one point, interestingly enough. Uh, but with public sentiment kind of turning toward the idea of using any means necessary to fight terrorism up to and including torture, this is kind of a good time to maybe take our remote ocean torture den that's technically owned by England, and move it to a country that might be, you know, a little more accepting of our human rights abuses. Maybe a country that is facing an ISIS threat of its own now and would like a little bit of help in putting down that threat. You know, a country like the Philippines. So then what happens to Diego Garcia? 
do we just completely get rid of it? Do we just leave? Just evacuate? No, of course not. This is the United States. If we can figure out a solution that involves building more bases and keeping the bases we have, we're going to do that, even if it means we have to move the torture porn stuff to the Philippines. And if it comes to pass that the Chagosians are allowed to come back to the Chagos archipelago, most of them would prefer to come back to a situation where they could, you know, get jobs and live lives that don't involve soul-crushing sadness and poverty. And a military base provides all that. So there's not necessarily that big of a push to make us leave. But also, if the Chagos Archipelago is returned to Mauritius, that government could decide they don't want that black site shit happening in their backyard. So our best move there would be to convert it to a normal, non-torture-infused military base and let the Chagosians come back to work there. But that raises another question. Adam, what about the people working there right now? Where do they go? Funny, you should ask, because that brings up the second tie between Diego Garcia and the Philippines. And this one is a lot less circumstantial. Everything I've said before is just my hunch and me reading stories and trying to connect dots in my head. It's literally all I fucking do all day until I sit in front of a microphone and tell you about it. But there is a more concrete tie between Diego Garcia and the Philippines. And that connection, in short, is the civilian workers. On top of all the other atrocities we're probably pulling off there, most of the workers there are Filipino. That in and of itself, obviously, is not the atrocity. This didn't become a build-the-wall cast overnight. No, the extra atrocity is that we, at some point, decided we would calculate these Filipino workers' salaries as if they were working in the Philippines. But they're not. They're working on an island that is controlled by the UK. So everything around them is priced as if they were living in England. They're paid Philippine salaries while living in a British economy. I don't think I could live in London on a Los Angeles salary. I don't know how Maria Shahada does it. Maybe she's in the CIA. Who knows? But everything, like I said, everything around them, it's priced according to what the U.S. military members there make. And the Filipino workers just have to kind of figure out how to make their lesser salaries stretch. And that's pretty fucked up. So really easy fix. Send the Filipino staff that already knows that we're interrogating aliens, and I mean space aliens, at Diego Garcia. You take all the black ops shit, move it to the Philippines. Duterte doesn't give a fuck what you do to people on his land. He just wants you to fight ISIS for him. So you move that staff and all the dirty shit from Diego Garcia to the Philippines. You make Diego Garcia just a regular base, and you let the Chagosians come back and work there. Which, after living in the poverty they've been living in, they'd probably take that Filipino worker salary. Gladly. It is as close to a win-win as you can get in a situation that involved the forced exodus of thousands of people and probably contributed to untold numbers of deaths and allowed us to operate kind of above the rule of international law for a long time. But with all of those caveats, as close to a win-win as you can get. We basically come out the other end of 50 years of abuse and wrongdoing, looking like decent people who just want to do right by everybody 
and maybe kill a few terrorists in the process. If that's not what we're planning to do, I'd be shocked. I would be shocked to the point that I'd suggest looking into who runs this country and maybe getting that clown out of office. Except we know who that clown is, and he's still in office. So, of course, what should be a pretty simple fix to a really complex issue stands a great chance of going completely off the rails. Because you see, one of Trump's latest crusades is getting countries to pay more money for the honor of having a United States military presence on their soil. Specifically, he's pushing a formula called cost plus 50, which is exactly what it sounds like. The host country would pay 100% of the cost to have a military base operating on their soil, plus another 50% of that cost on top of that. That's a lot of goddamn money. And the problem is, a lot of countries, even before the prospect of a higher monthly bill, didn't necessarily want us there. So if we start strong-arming these agreements with countries and saying, if you don't pay us more money, we're just going to leave your base behind, well, who's to say China or Russia couldn't do just as good of a job of protecting those countries? And then we just get the fuck out of there, and little by little, we lose our influence overseas. And depending on who you are, maybe you're all right with that. Maybe you're not all right with that. Maybe you're not all right with the fact that I'm doing a weird dance with my arms while I'm talking about this, because I had a lot of fucking coffee today. But whatever the case, this this plan that we're pushing does run the very real risk of just rupturing the relations we have with our allies in all sorts of places. We have a military presence in more than 100 countries, and that's way more than any other country by a, a fucking long shot. That's why we are who we are in the military sense. But as you start undoing those agreements and maybe other countries move into those bases and do the job that we were doing, you know, we just become a little less influential on the world stage. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it's a bad thing. I guess we'll find out. And as it relates to Diego Garcia, if it does come to pass that the Chagos Archipelago is given back to Mauritius and is now under the ownership of that government, and we come to them and say, hey, we want cost plus 50, they could just balk at that and tell us to get the fuck out of there. And here's the thing. We haven't used Diego Garcia as a launching point for so many wars just because it has the coolest name. Its location makes it far enough away that it's almost impossible to attack, but just close enough that we can launch attacks into a bunch of different areas from there. That's why we use it. And it's not a thing we want to lose. At a time when the Rand Corporation is releasing reports about how the U.S. will probably lose a war with China or Russia at the same rate this network issues new podcast episodes. Losing one of our more important war assets would be a really bad thing. I don't know how to put it any plainer than that. No matter what your opinion on our defense spending and strategies may be. So, I know you have a lot of Trump administration-related things to worry about, and, uh... Now you have another one. Throw it on the pile. This is obviously a, a developing story, so there's not a conclusion here, but just a thing. I'll keep an eye on it. You keep an eye on it. Let's see where it goes. Maybe set up a Google alert for Diego Garcia and see if we see if we lose that base, see if we maybe transfer it all to the Philippines. If you see the word Chagosians in your RSS reader some morning, Click that headline and see what the fuck's going on. 
because it relates to us and things that relate to you. What? This is what happens when I record these things later at night, which in this case, I mean minutes before this is going up. But don't worry. I spent all day working on it. It's by no means rushed. Just the recording. Anyway, like I said, this is a story I'll keep an eye on. We don't know how it's going to play out, but I just thought it was I thought it was an interesting connection that all this talk of ISIS being defeated just happens to coincide with ISIS being on the rise in the Philippines and us potentially having to move our secret torture base that is mostly staffed by underpaid Filipino workers. That's all. So what do we have to plug before we get out of here? We, meaning me, I got shows coming up. March 18th, I am at Britannia Pub in Santa Monica. March 30th, obviously, Hollywood Hotel, last Saturday of every month, 9 p.m., the Unpop stand-up show. This month, we got me, Quincy, Caitlin Cutt. Laura Crawford, Joe Kay, Crystal Adams, Kevin Anderson, and more. Come out to that. And also, the following week, April 6th, also at Hollywood Hotel, I'm doing the Performing Under the Influence show. Should be an interesting one because I'm not drinking anymore. So, I don't know. Maybe I'll do mushrooms again. That was a lot of fun last time. Anyway, come out to all of that and also patreon.com slash unpop so you can get this podcast completely ad free get bonus episodes of the podcasts i record and a few different podcasts that you can only get on the patreon access to unpops live streams all kinds of stuff baby unpops.com nope patreon.com slash unpops just five dollars a month go sign up and i think that's it i'm gonna get the fuck out of here goodbye everybody i love you <laughs>